my title of the message is called The Mantle. The Mantle. We're going to pick up where Pastor Treaster and them left off. He was explaining about the discipleship process. See, <clears throat> the pastors of the One Association, we have the Talmudian process that we use to make fine disciples. Disciples that are dangerous to the enemy. And what you don't realize is this. We have that process. But before you can even begin to be qualified for that process, there's like an underlying process that you must go through in order to be qualified, in order to be chosen. See, that's the biblical, that's the biblical pattern. We see it with Jesus and his disciples. We're going to see it here with Elijah and Elisha. You have to be chosen. But how are you chosen? You're chosen through a process that I'm going to explain tonight. This process, not just anybody is able to receive. This process, you have to be chosen for. So my sermon is going to explain to you how to ready yourself, how to be prepared to step into discipleship. Because if you're not truly discipled, if you are not discipled in the right manner, you will not stand firm. You will not be able to face adversity when it comes. You will not be able to surpass your pastors, stand on their shoulders, and go into the nations. It will be impossible. You will not be able to stand against the forces of the enemy. You will not be able to charge the gates of hell. C.T. Studd said this one time. He said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I... I want to run a rescue shop set up at the gates of hell. See, now that's a DCD attitude. That right there is a disciple that is confronting damnation. I could tell you right now, every pastor in here feels like their church has been established right outside the gates of hell. You think hell only existed... Houston, Texas, or Crystal Lake, or Virginia, I can confirm to you now, it's also in Chivai. Right outside the gates. Why? Because these disciples don't care a damn about what the world has to throw at us. Amen? Adversity will come. It's not a matter of if, it's when. Adversity will come. You have to be ready to stand firm to go against what the enemy has. My question for everyone in this room, not just the men, are you prepared right now? Are you prepared to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy in your life? Or are you like what James says, the way he explains it? You're one of those men that the first time you get any criticism, you get any kind of pushback, you begin to crumble. You begin to sway. You get tossed like the waves. You get blown like the wind. Why? Because you have not built into you deep convictions that you can stand firm on when adversity arrives in your life. How dangerous are you to the enemy? Does the enemy take note of you because of your deep convictions? Or does he take note of you because you're not willing to move? Because you're standing firm like Paul in Ephesus. And that's where I want to start. Acts 19.15. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? <laughs> who are you? Who are you? Have you asked yourself that question? Who are you? 
Does the enemy find you offensive? If your answer is not yes, then you quite do not have the DCD attitude yet. But I tell you, by the time I'm finished preaching, you'll have it. Because God is going to overflow here, and you're going to receive the DCD attitude that you need to stand firm. Look, he goes on in verse 16. He says, the man who had the evil spirit, he jumped on them, and he overpowered them. He gave them such a beating, they ran out the house naked and bleeding. (laughs) I'm going to be honest right now. This year, I feel like I've been beaten. I'm bloody. But I can tell you, I haven't run out the house naked yet. No, nor will I stand in front of that mirror that Pastor Justin was talking about. Neither one. But who are you? Who are you? Wherever you go, the enemy should take note of who you are. Pastor Eric told me one time, the man filled with the Holy Spirit should change the atmosphere everywhere he goes. That has been so fundamental to me. I teach that to the disciples at our church. I said, wherever you go, you look for an opportunity to change the environment. And that's what I want for you tonight or today. Look, we can stop the clock back there because we're on Peruvian time. I've got a lot to say. So here's the thing. All of you that came in today, I want you to leave here different than the way you walked in the doors. Amen? (laughs) How dangerous are you to the enemy? See, if you're not properly discipled, you're not going to be anything to the enemy. You're not going to be a threat. He's not going to waste his time because he's concerned with those that have the DCD attitude. So you might ask, what does it look like to stand firm? What does it look like to stand firm and be dangerous to the enemy? Turn with me to Micah 6 8. Micah 6 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy. To walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. That's exactly what it looks like to stand firm. Isaiah said the same thing. I will walk humbly with my God all my years. Okay? When, I, when Micah says this, he's referring to humbly in a manner of submission. He's saying, I will be submitted to my God. I will walk. Basically, what he's saying is, I will walk in a submissive way with my God all my years. That is the key that we need for discipleship. We have to have humility in our hearts, in our lives, every day, to be able to begin the process that prepares us for the discipleship process. Humility. What we can do with humility is this. We can submit. We can learn to sacrifice, we can support, we can serve, and then we can stand firm. Five things, five things that we need because we need God's grace in our life in order to be able to fulfill these things. Submit to our pastors and our leaders. Sacrifice the temporal things in this world for heavenly treasures. Things that do not make a difference. Just what Pastor Eric said before we got started. To support, support the vision of First, your local pastor, and then as a group, we will support the one association. To serve, to serve your pastors and those around you to make their job a delight, not a burden. Stand firm, stand firm so that way we can remain dangerous to the enemy. 
By doing this, it allows us to be able to go and take the nations from the enemy, reach right into the enemy's camp and take what belongs to us. Turn with me to John 14, 12. See, this isn't anything new. This is what Jesus has been preaching. John 14, 12. <clears throat> very truly, I tell you. Remember, when Jesus says very truly, 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 very, very, that's because he wants your attention. He wants you to take note of what he's saying. So guess what? You're going to hear some things in my sermon that the other pastors have preached. That's where I got my notes from. And so, very, very, truly, truly, I tell you, because you need to hear it again. How many of you could sit here honestly and say, oh, pastor, I don't need to hear that again. I know the word. See, there was no one brave enough to raise a hand. That's why you need to hear it. Very, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. See, nothing new. Nothing new. Jesus says, just do what I do. Do what I do. Keep doing what I'm doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. See, this is the discipleship model. We want everyone in here to just continue to do what we're doing so that you can do greater things than us. See, we're not up here to glorify ourselves. We're here to build a foundation for the disciples coming behind us that can go and do way more than us. That's the whole process of discipleship. See, if you heard another gospel, it's sure not the one I'm preaching. Humility. You guys have to be patient with me. I brought my Peruvian laptop. Okay. Humility. It's required to be dangerous to the enemy. Let's look at James 4, 6. James 4, 6. This is going to sound familiar. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says... God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble, or gives grace to the humble. See, Pastor Matt used this same one in his sermon in 1 Peter 5. Why? Because he's quoting Proverbs 3. See, again, the New Testament has nothing new. They just keep doing what they've always done. So I tell the church that in Shabbat, it's called New Testament only because they needed to give it a name. But everything you read in there has been done in the Old Testament it's just a foundation that we're continuing to preach. Nothing new. Look, it goes on to say in verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist and stand firm against the devil, and he will flee from you. See, when we have freedom from pride and arrogance, this is whenever we're able to understand the true nature of who we are. To understand our sinful nature. To understand that we need a Savior. That right there is what true humility is, is to see ourselves correctly. I thought about Pastor Justin whenever he said, uh, talking about the mirror. That is how we see ourselves rightly. Charles Spurgeon said about uh, humility, humility is to make the right estimate of oneself. I just love how Spurgeon would say things. He didn't say much. He was a man of few words. But what he said carried a lot of weight. Proverbs 22, 4, in the NASB, which is the Necherogena Study Bible, it says, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord is three things. It's riches, honor, and life. But here, it's not here on earth. It's eternal. It's eternal. Look, I'm having fun 
but take a commercial break real quick. I said, Nick Arizina, what a great model of a disciple. He's ready to take back from the enemy what he has stolen. He and the team are ready. Don't let them fool you just because they're still here. They're already taking background from the enemy. That's what the process of discipleship looks like. You never let off the gas. Once you get started, you never look back. All the pastors of the One Association. We are now in a new season of discipleship. Because as pastors, we're learning how to submit. We're learning how to sacrifice. We're learning how to support and serve. And to stand firm for the vision of the One Association. See, we have to get out of ourselves, out of our own church, and not be so myopic and think, okay, well, Chavai Peru, I mean, that's what God wanted right there. Yeah, but he wants Crystal Lake. He, he wants Victoria, Texas. He wants it all. See, we have to begin this new process of discipleship all over again so that we can stay united and take the nations from the enemy. Because as he said, they're not going to be handed to us. Just keep doing what Jesus did. How easy is that? Paul said the same thing. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Nothing new. Just do what Jesus did. Humility. We see it with Elijah. He began his ministry as a very humble servant of Elijah. In 2 Kings 3.11, he says, But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here? Through whom we may inquire of the Lord. An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Come on now. What kind of humbleness is that? Your first job in the kingdom is to pour water on the hands of your, uh, of your rabbi. Look, it said right here, he used to pour. See, where we begin is not where we finish. Okay, that's a DCD attitude. If you are in the kingdom for 10 or 20 years and you are still doing the very first thing you did when you started. You're not ready for the nations. Zechariah 410, speaking of humbleness. Who dares despise the day of small beginnings? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that reigns throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen, the capstone, the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel, the chosen. Every one of you in this place is chosen. Don't think you just showed up as a participant. God has a calling on your life. You are chosen. You have a nation under your belt that the Lord is waiting to give you. When I saw this plumb line, it reminded me, speaking of discipleship, they just completed the construction on the roof of our house, and they were using the plumb line. And I went out there to watch them. I don't know how many of you are familiar with a plumb line, but they hang the string down. And uh, one of the guys, he's like, no, 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 a little more to the left, a little more to the left. And the other guy's like, no, 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 it's right here, it's right here. So they're arguing about it. And all of a sudden, the maestro comes over, the, the master, the teacher. And shows them exactly where it is. 
and I thought about this process of discipleship. See, guys, this is what happens whenever we're not fully trained. When we're not fully committed to the discipleship process, what happens is we get so very close to the calling, and then we fall just a little short. See, we have to walk in obedience. How close was Moses to walking into the promised land? The Lord set it up for him. Here it is. Take him out. Bring him over to the promised land. Because of just a little bit of a disobedience, he had to watch his disciple go through, which, praise God, another. That's what Pastor Trista was talking about, Moses and Joshua. So, guys, we have to pay attention. We have to walk in humility in order to get this process of discipleship down in our soul. Last year, when the, uh, we went on to Israel, and this, this, this season of humility in my life, we were having a teaching with Pastor Eric at uh, Capernaum. <clears throat> and man, the Lord really, really settled in my heart about Chivai. Because look, just being honest, you have all these thoughts. Am I doing enough? Am I the right man to be there? All this carnal foolishness that the Lord, I mean, that the enemy tries to fill you with. And I remember at one moment, the Lord said, Small, humble beginnings, buddy. He said, this is my son, Jesus, who started a ministry here in Capernaum, a small, unassuming town right on the Sea of Galilee. And he goes on to make 12 disciples that changed the world. See, I look at those small adobe brick homes there in Capernaum. They're all in rubble. But the Lord showed that to me. He said, no, this is where you are in Chivai. You're walking through a town. Don't let people fool you about how humble the place looks because there's going to be disciples that rise up out of Chivai that's going to change the nations. Hmm. Let's look at Elijah's example. Turn with me to 1 Kings 19.19. This is where Elisha has his calling. He says, so Elijah went from there and found, I'm sorry, Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. That word cloak in this particular scripture, it is rendered mantle. That's where the title comes from. It's a mantle. So Elijah is taking his mantle, his mantle of discipleship, his way of life, and he's putting it upon Elisha. See, he was chosen, remember. It's no different than Jesus and his 12 disciples. Jesus went and handpicked them. He chose them. Remember, they're ordinary, unschooled men, just like you and I. But he says that the world took note of them. Because they were with Jesus. Because they had been discipled properly. Because of that, the world took note of them. I want the same thing for all of you. When you go into the nations, look, we have a team that's heading into Albania in like four days or so. You know, they're going into Albania with no regard for finances, no regard for return trip. When the Lord speaks, they will return. Amen. Unschooled, ordinary men. Humility is what's required. It's required for submission, for sacrifice, for supporting, for serving, and to stand firm. If you lack humility, 
you'll never enter the discipleship process. To submit, I said, do we submit to our pastors? What this looks like, this is the way that you submit to your God. By submitting to your pastors is the way that you submit to God. And those that cannot do that, it shows a lot about your heart and your relationship to God. See, what you have to understand, when he says that you're going to submit, listen to this. I referenced Hebrews 13 earlier, but I'm going to read it now. Have confidence in your leaders. Don't doubt them. Don't go against them. Have confidence in them. And submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to you. See, the key word here is it says submit to their authority. It doesn't say submit to the man. But see, that's what people hear. Oh, I can't submit to the pastor. I can't submit to the man. I I don't like whether he wears T-shirts, tank tops, a beard, slick face. The Lord never asked you to do that. He said, submit to the authority, the God-given authority that he placed in your life. Why? Because he has ordained and anointed this man of God with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that you do not have. It's truth. Every answer we have or we need is found right here. There's no need to make up things. Just like Jesus said, just do what I do. Since I'm quoting godly men, here's another one Pastor Eric told me. He said, look past the man and see what the Lord is doing through the man. So the next time any of you have a problem with submitting to your pastors, remember this. Look past the man and see what God is doing through him. See, you cannot deny the fruit in somebody's life. Look, you don't have to like the clothes I wear, the way I talk, my name. You don't have to like any of that. All you have to do is see what God is doing through me. Amen? I can tell you, those watching online, those that are naysayers, those that are not in this room, they have a problem with submission. They have a problem with submission. Why? Because they feel... Like they have to submit to a man and not the God-given authority. My question, have you submitted your desires to be right, your desires to be in control of your own life? See, it's a reckless abandonment. It's saying, God, I trust you. I trust you with everything. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my family, with my life. It's so easy for us to say, oh, amen, pastor, I believe that. Yeah, but you're not at the conference. Oh, uh, but you don't do the first thing your pastor told you. There's always three or four other things. Yeah, but let's go back to the first thing I told you. Again, in 1 Kings 19, 19, we see Elisha submitting to Elijah when he receives that mantle. That is a symbolic act submitting to his teacher, rabbi, pastor, and receiving the anointing, receiving the discipleship and the way of life that has been ordained by God. For me, I love this particular scripture because it is a beautiful picture of true discipleship. See, he goes on to talk about the oxen. There's two of them working side by side. And I see this all day long in Chivai. 
there's two oxen, the rabbi behind them, the pastor, because that's what they're called. The pastor is in the field with his oxen. And there's always a young oxen that's very strong and very zealous. He's pulling the plow. Then on the other side, yoked to him, you have a much older, wiser oxen, much slower. Yeah. <laughs> My wife called me out from back there. <laughs> and so you see this principle of discipleship. One that's learning from the knowledge, the wisdom, and the understanding of the older oxen being ready to take his place in the years to come. It's a beautiful picture of discipleship. So I mentioned how the yoke is on the oxen. This is exactly what we are doing here. We're here yoking our churches. We're yoking as pastors. We're yoking as disciples to work together for the years and generations to come. The problem is, there's still so many of you that have a yoke of this world on you. You need to be set free from that yoke, the yoke of this world, and begin to receive the yoke and the mantle that God has for you. I want to tell you about the word mantle. <clears throat> it means the glory, splendor, and magnificence of God. In a figurative, it means a vine of shepherds. Oh, what, what we do with a vineyard of shepherds. See, when I look out, that's what I see. I look out here and not do I see just a vine, but I see a vineyard of shepherds being raised up with a DCD attitude. The glory of the Lord passed from Elijah down to Elisha, and then it was on its way to Gehazi. But we heard yesterday how that story worked out. Again, because when a man has a problem with submission, he will never make it through the discipleship process. See, the same happened in Acts 1. That's what happened with the disciples of Jesus. They waited in Jerusalem, he told them. Hey, simmer down. Just wait. Relax. Receive the mantle of God's Holy Spirit so that you can be empowered when you go out to do what you're called to do. See, that's the problem. We look at it in our timing. Man, can I tell you, I've learned patience. I've learned time living in Peru. Time seems to go by twice as slow. And so it, the Lord has really done a work in me. But it's been a process that I've needed for humility. The same thing will happen to you. When you receive God's mantle, you learn what submission is. You'll be successful as well. The second one we talk about is sacrifice. You heard Pastor Matt and Pastor Wade, they talked about paying a full price for this sacrifice. What have you sacrificed for Jesus? What have you sacrificed to be here? Has it been unbelieving family members, finances, jobs? That's just my list. I have many more. But the question is, what's on your list? What is it that you have sacrificed for the kingdom of God? Let's look at Elisha's response to his sacrifice in uh, verse 20 of 1 Kings 19. It says, Elijah then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my family and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Elijah rebuked him. He said, go back. 
go back. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him. He went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. See, his first response was to run after him. Then he had a slight hesitation. He's like, oh, wait a minute. I need to say goodbye to the world. I need to say goodbye. The same thing Lot's wife said. Hey, hey, hold up. I'm going to say goodbye. And we know what happened to her. So without hesitation, without hesitation. Pastor Brent mentioned it also in Luke chapter 9, and I want to go back to it because it's quite interesting. This is Jesus has the same response that Elijah did. In Luke 9, starting verse 61, he says, Still another said, I will follow you. I will follow you, Lord, but first. But first. See, some of you have a big butt, and I cannot lie. What you need to do is kick your butt out of here. Because if it's but first this, but first that, you will never get to the place where you're going to follow your rabbi. But first, he says, let me go back, say goodbye to my family. No one, listen to Jesus' response. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. So I have to ask you. The kingdom of God. Which king are you? Are you the king of compromise or are you the king of Christ? See, there's only one king in the kingdom of God. That's the king of Christ. But first, like Elisha, you have to do what he did. Okay, you might have a hesitation. But then after the hesitation, you have to go back and burn up everything that is causing you to hesitate. doesn't matter what it is. And that's only something you can evaluate in your own life. What is your but? What is your hesitation? What's keeping you from fulfilling the calling that God has in your life? It's truth, Pastor. Sacrifice. You have to be willing to sacrifice the full price in order to begin to cultivate the calling that God has for you. See, when Elijah left, He left everything. He went back and burned it, and then he began to run right after him. He didn't let anything else hold him back. He didn't keep things for a rainy day. He didn't keep things for, well, what if? He had no plan B. And, yes, we have T-shirts for that too, right, Pastor? No plan B. To serve. (laughs) To serve. See, Elijah, what did he do in that, that particular scripture? As soon as he burned up the plow... He burned up the things of his past, and the very first thing he did was serve the people. He cooked food. I was like, oh, brother, I can relate to you. I like that. He burned it up so that he could serve the people. He wasn't concerned about himself. He was concerned about the people. He's like, I bet, I I know what he was thinking in this moment. He's like, man, he told me, go back. I'm going to show him I'm serious. So as soon as he burned up the plow, he served the people. Servanthood is something that... I think is I think is missed nowadays. Everybody is so worried about look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm first, be me, 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 me. We forget about serving others. What 
is your first response when someone asks you to serve? Are you like, um, me? Act like you didn't hear him. Uh, what? Oh, me. Oh, you want me to. Okay. Oh, well, I mean, what about them? What about them? How about, how about these guys? I mean, they're just sitting there, right? Like, what about them? Your answer should always be yes before you even hear the question. See, I like when I was in the military, they used to do that. Hey, I need four volunteers, please, right here. You don't even know what you're volunteering for. <laughs> See, they were smart. They were smart. But does it really matter? Does it really matter what you're volunteering for? Here's the thing. We're serving unto the Lord. We're not serving man. We're serving unto the Lord. So when he says, I need four volunteers, you should be running up here. It doesn't matter what it is. Greater the cost. Greater the cost is discipleship. Turn with me to John 21, 21. We're going to look at a very interesting interaction and conversation that Jesus and Peter have here about this very topic. John 21, 21. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Who? You must follow me. See, guys, if we could only worry about ourselves first, stop worrying about the guy on the left or to the right, because you have to follow Christ. You have to follow the pastor. You have to follow the calling that God has given you. No one else. So why are you concerned with everyone else? Yeah, but pastor, what about? No, I don't care. What about you? You have to follow me, he said. Do it with joy. See it as a blessing. Serve with excellence because, again, you're looking through the man and seeing what God is doing through him. The Lord has asked you to do it. So I think one of the greatest attributes of a leader is knowing how to serve others. You know, Jesus is our example. He said, look, I am the son of man. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. In fact, to serve so much that I want to give my life as a ransom to many. How many honestly can say you gave your life as a ransom for many? You have a hard time giving yourself to yourself. Let alone your wife and your children. Not to mention the kingdom. See, together we are serving not ourselves, but God. Remember, what is the, what is the logo of, of, the, of the one association? One spirit, one body, one kingdom. It's not what you think it is. It's not what I think it is. It's not what can we agree on. It's only one thing, and that's the kingdom. It's a kingdom principle, a kingdom mind. The next one is to support. As we're speaking of the one association, Speaking of support, the second oath of the One Association article says this. Having been adopted into the Holy Family, I will not rest until every nation in the world is represented before his throne. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. That right there, church, is a reference to Revelation 5. See, we need men that are willing to go against what is being accepted as the truth nowadays. To stand firm, to be able to confront danger, look in the enemy's eyes, and just go right after it. That's the kind of men, the kind of disciples that we are looking for. Men that are willing to have the DCD attitude at all costs. 
See, in order for us as the association to continue to fulfill this calling, this vision of feeding the nations and making disciples. See, this is a vision that, that Pastor Eric received. We all need to be able to support our brother in this vision, not, not because of selfish gain, not because, well, I mean, if we're not part of the association, man, things are going to be hard. I'm telling you now, hey, hard now. <laughs> if it get any harder than this, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, so the thing is, it's not for selfish gain. It's because there's a vision that has been placed on Pastor Eric for a reason, and it is our responsibility to support this vision. But as he mentioned earlier, we all have to begin locally, beginning to support our own churches, and then as a church, we have to support the association. Turn with me to 1 Peter 5. I don't want to just continue to teach and preach and talk about men of old. I want to talk about great men of God that have walked among us. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 8, says this. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If that scared you, listen to verse 9. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers input, the one association of churches, throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now, this scripture is extremely dear to my heart because it is the foundation and the family banner of my brother Daniel Smith. His mezuzah comes right out of this uh, scripture here. His mezuzah is bringing life by bridging the gap between God and man. See, Daniel was a well-discipled disciple. He was dangerous to the enemy, not just because of his size and stature, although that is intimidating. He was dangerous to the enemy because he was well-discipled, and this brother understood the purpose of support. If anybody understands support, it was my brother Daniel. Daniel... He was one of the first remnant of men to hike the Coca Canyon with me and make it out. Now, I'll be honest, he was mad at me at that point because he was one of the last ones out. What he didn't remember at that time was that the first will be last and the last will be first. And he was first to finish the race, to keep the faith, to stand firm. The hope of the resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for men of God like Daniel Smith. Thank you, Lord. A man who knew how to stand firm. Look at the enemy in his eye. Say, bring it on. I'm not scared. Daniel helped me to bring new life and salvation into the Coca Canyon. He did that by bridging the gap between God and man. See, his mezuzah continues today. 
Because Daniel resisted the devil and stirred firm in his faith, the Lord called him to his eternal glory, and he restored him. I want to be like Paul. I want to go now and hang out with him. But because of you, that's right, because of you, I'm still here. Because Daniel's willingness to submit and sacrifice to the Lord. He served his family. He supported the visions of the men of God in his life. And he stood firm against all things of unrighteousness. See, Daniel was doing was preparing a way for his three sons. He was preparing a way for Deacon Zadok and Canaan. He has set the standard in the Smith family. He has set a foundation for the generations to come, which is his sons. It's very much like God's promise to David. Daniel has the same promise to his sons. Listen, in 1 Chronicles 17, we'll pick up in the middle of verse 10. I will also subdue all your enemies. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. One of your own sons, whether it's physical or spiritual, he's going to raise up one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. See, when we walk faithfully with the king, we're building a foundation for the generations to come. They are the ones who are going to build the house. See, I keep this scripture in my heart and my mind because that's what we're doing in Shabbat. The Lord has given me resolve about that. doesn't matter how tall my physical house is. The one that he's building in the kingdom is going to, out for, is going, is, is going to be four more than that. Because what we are doing is building the foundation of the home. Behind me is going to be my spiritual sons that come behind me and build the house that God wants built there. Amen. Can I tell you that takes humility to do it? Because I don't remember the last time I went over to your house and I was like, man, check out your foundation, bro. That's good. I mean, six inches down is pretty deep, no cracks. That's pretty good. No, we're concerned about the carnal things, how much crown molding you got, ceramic tile, wood floors. Who cares? It's the foundation we should be looking at. Submit, sacrifice, serve, support, and stand firm. The last one is going to be stand firm. I want to show you a good example from Elijah's life as well. Let's go to 2 Kings 2, starting in verse 16. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look at your master. Uh, look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain in some valley. Perhaps in Shavai. No, Elisha replied. Do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, okay, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find them. When they returned to Elijah, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? 
Now, the problem here is, you look at this, and Elijah, he didn't, he didn't stand firm. He didn't stand firm. What happened is, when he got a little bit of resistance, he, they continued to persist, to continue to persist. He was too embarrassed. He's like, okay, go, go. He was ashamed. See, now we might look at this and think, well, he didn't stand firm. He failed. He made a mistake. But that's not true. It's not true because of this. It's not true because it's not how we make mistakes. It's how we correct them that defines us. I'm going to say that again because I know many of you have fear of failure in this room. You have fear of man. You have fear of lots of things. I want to lighten the load for you. It is not how we make mistakes, but it's how we correct them that defines us. See, if you're not willing to make mistakes in your life, then you're not willing to make anything in your life. You have to be willing to be able to make a mistake, correct it, and then move forward. That's what humbleness is. That's what receiving the grace of God is in your life. To stand firm. To stand firm, when he said that, it means to remain or to endure, to take one's stand. See, when you have heard from God, when you've heard from the throne room of God, you have the confidence to stand firm. You're not going to sway back and forth. When men come against you, when you begin to have the persistence, you're going to stand firm on what God has actually told you because you are well discipled. You are dangerous to the enemy. Build deep convictions in your life. These deep convictions, I can tell you right now, my deep convictions are not popular, but they're mine. You will not get me to move from them. And that's what causes me to be dangerous to the enemy. I want to share this scripture with you. This is just another personal one. It's 2 Chronicles 16, 9. My wife actually encouraged me with it. <clears throat> um, I was in a moment of just needing to be built up, being able to have the strength and courage to stand firm as well. It's 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Hmm. See, when our hearts are fully committed to the Lord, he'll strengthen you. He'll strengthen you for battle. He'll strengthen you to be able to stand firm in the face of adversity. But you have to ask yourself, what is it that you're doing to be fully committed to the Lord? Is it but yes or with hesitation? I want to I leave you with what Elijah's correction was on this. See, he made the mistake, but because his heart was fully committed to the Lord, he allowed God to strengthen him and to make a correction. In 2 Kings 5... I'll just, I'm just, it starts in verse 25, but it's, it's what you guys have heard about uh, Elijah and Gehazi. So what happens here is Gehazi has lost his mind, and he thinks that shekels and shirts are more important than being discipled, that it's more important than what God has for him. So in this moment, he lies. And this is where Elisha makes his correction. He said, no, nah, wait a minute. Let's go back to the standard. And the standard is this, and I'm going to hold you accountable for it. And he does. <laughs> he takes one man's leprosy and gives it to him. So now you might say, but pastor, be easy on him because he made a mistake as well. 
Yeah, but did he really? Because see, what happens is when you make a mistake, if your heart is not to go and change it and turn from it, because that's how we're defined, his problem is he stayed in the same condition, right? You can't expect to receive the things of God if you're not willing to change. Hey, 100. Amen. Okay. Listen, without humility, you will never survive the discipleship process. Never, never. Julia has written on her, on her uh, mirror, she said, progression, not perfection. And that is so true. It's so true because that's how we try to live our life. Like Jesus, we want to be perfect in everything we do. But I'm here to tell you, mistakes are required in your life in order for you to grow. Remember, it's, it's how you change and how you correct your mistakes is what defines you. Submit and stand firm to be dangerous to the enemy. We must be a remnant of men of God that is willing to take the responsibility of discipleship seriously to affect the nations and bring new life everywhere we go. I want to give the men in this room a charge that King David gave his son Solomon. So as I begin to do that, if uh, Peter and Chris, you guys can make your way up, please. This charge is in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. I'll wait for everyone to get there. First Kings chapter 2, verse 1. It starts off like this. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. It says, I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like men, and observe what the Lord your God requires. And this is what he requires, to walk in obedience to him, to walk faithfully with your God. Keep his decrees and his commands, his laws and regulations, as it is written in the law of Moses. Do this that you may prosper in all you do wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. So I see this as a charge to you and I see it as a promise to me in this second part here. He says, <clears throat> if your descendants, your spiritual sons, your disciples, watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart, and so, I will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. See, that's what it looks like to be fully committed. That's what it looks like to seek first the kingdom. When we do these things, you can then stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Paul said the same thing to the Corinthian church. He said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. See, that, that, that part was in the ESV. That's the Eric Stevens version. What that would translate to is get in the truck. That is what a DCD attitude looks like, being able to confront danger. So please, everyone stand at this moment as we get ready to go into some worship. We have to humble yourself to submit, to begin to sacrifice in your life, serve others to support them so that you can stand firm and be dangerous to the enemy. That's what the cost of discipleship looks like. I don't want to just preach.
teach about what discipleship looks like. I want to show you what it looks like. I want to show you what the next generation looks like. If I can get Anthony, Javier, if I can get Nick, Peyton, Judah, Treaster, Justin, you guys come up here, please, on the altar. See, we don't want to be a church that just preaches the word. We want to be a church that puts the word into action. Right here, who we're missing. That's it. Even we've got the third generation coming up behind us. But church, if you would look at these men, this is the face of the one association in the years to come. These are the men who are going to be preaching and teaching the next generation behind them. This is what discipleship looks like. This is how we take the nations. We take the nations by continuing in the discipleship process. We build a foundation and then we allow these brothers to come behind us sacrifice for God you want to receive the mantle of salvation you're going to come and stand right over here and these brothers are going to pray for you there's no need for us to do it the anointing, the mantle, the cloak is on these guys signs, wonders and miracles we said they're going to happen here if you're already in that process but you feel like pastor I just can't stand firm and you need to be strengthened you need to receive what the disciples received in Acts 1. You need to receive the mantle of the Holy Spirit of the living God. You need to be empowered with His Spirit. You're going to come to this side. I want this to be a very specific altar call because we're working through discipleship. We're working through the nations. We still have more services to go. So whatever you need is, it will be addressed. Trust me. Our God is not going to leave us so at this moment, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Pastor Nick. He's going to begin to pray. And when he does, you guys make the two sides. And these brothers are going to come down and begin to pray fire from heaven upon you. Amen. Whatever you need to do, make sure that this afternoon, right now in this moment, that's exactly what you do. Whatever the Holy Spirit is showing you to do, right now make sure you make your obedience complete by taking your first steps of obedience to this altar today i know what the lord wants to do it's up to you to meet him in that process mighty god mighty god we walk with you today lord god father we leave our lives behind lord father we leave the past behind 
afternoon, mighty God. We say we walk with you. We stand with you, mighty God. Help us, Father. Help us to walk in this mantle, Lord Jesus. Open up our minds to the revelation that you have for us, Lord. We want to be able to pick up the mantle that you want to give to us in Jesus' name.
revival comes from heaven when heroic souls enter the conflict determined to win or die or if need be to win and die the book of Job is not about Job's endurance oh God give me the patience of Job these are theologians and students and people that just really don't understand their Bible at all it's about the glory of God and the way in which he receives glory when you endure all because of his name when a man will give up his safety his wife's safety his children's safety because of the glory of God when a man will give up his finances not give of his finances give up his finances when a man will give up his personal prerogatives God gains glory and it's very hard to stop something like that you can't seduce him away from it you can't intimidate him away from it because he's already died to do it killing him is not a threat we're soon going to close this meeting because there's another one coming and it's going to be amazing but the pastors from the arising church have just been sharing a few insights with me and I asked them to close this meeting isn't it just like God when the world is shutting all the doors to the places for the fire to go to the nations to burn brighter than it ever has it seems like now would be a bad time because doors are being shut all over the place the third thing that Pastor Eric said a man giving up his prerogatives that's what you can start on right now that's your preferences that's the way you think things should be done the way that you like things and just letting that go the other two things will fall into place your finances your health and safety those things will fall into place start doing that right now lord however you prefer it to be done however you want it to be done whatever the timing is whatever the place is no matter the obscurity of the place that you send me or the reluctance or resistance of the people that i go to lord i'm going you show me and i'll do it He is calling us out now. Not down the road, now. Now. And so we handle our business with him now. If you take away anything, as we're talking about the nations, let that be your takeaway. He's the one who calls the shots. And we simply say yes. I love Pastor Buddy's example, the volunteer running to the front before he even knows what he's volunteering for. 
let that, is that your heart today? Is that your heart today? If you could feel it, there were some holy moments that were taking place during this last session. And what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do is to take a sober assessment of what still needs to be crucified in your flesh. The Lord has been stirring up Judges chapter 20. As Israel went out to fight, they experienced something that was a loss. But they didn't give up. It says that they turned to fasting and they turned to prayer because God wasn't just uniting their minds and their hearts for war. He was uniting the sacrifice they were bringing before the king. God wants to unite our sacrifice in here today. So we don't want to end just getting all hyped up for the sake of getting hyped up. I want to end like this. I want you to open your hands right now. And I want you just to begin to take a sober assessment of your own soul. Say, God, what still needs to be crucified in my flesh? What reserves are you stashing away? Is he or is he not enough for you? God, would you do the miraculous work in here of uniting us in our sacrifice for the nations? God, would you do the miraculous work in here of bringing us to a place of joy when we can lay everything at your feet. Holy Spirit, we thank you for leading us, for guiding us. Lord, we pray for even more empowerment to come as we make declarations with our lips and declarations in our hearts that we will be dangerous and we won't settle for anything less. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.